Galatians chapter 3, I would like to read again verses 15 through 22. I do this to familiarize our minds with the text each week and so that we get some context before we get into the Word. Galatians chapter 3, beginning at verse 15, Paul writes, Brothers, I'm using a human illustration. No one sets aside even a human covenant that has been ratified or makes additions to it. Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say into seeds as though referring to many, but into your seed referring to one who is Christ. And I say this, the law which came 430 years later does not revoke a covenant that was previously ratified by Yahweh so as to cancel the promise. For if the inheritance is from the law, it is no longer from the promise, but Yahweh granted it to Abraham through the promise. Verse 19, Why the law then? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise was made would come. The law was ordered through angels by means of a mediator. Now a mediator is not just for one person, but Yahweh is one. Is the law therefore contrary to Yahweh's promises? Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that was able to give life, then righteousness would certainly be by the law. But the scripture has imprisoned everything under sin's power so that the promise by faith in Yeshua the Messiah might be given to those who believe. May Yahweh bless his word to our hearts today. Why the law? We began with that question last week by looking at the answer that Paul gives us. It was added because of transgressions, or your Bible might say for the sake of transgressions, or on account of transgressions. Translations differ there. I explained to you why I believe that Paul was referring to the entirety of the Mosaic Covenant, the writing down of the law code on tablets of stone and in the book of the law. That's been the law that Paul's talked about all through Galatians chapter 2. And all through Galatians chapter 3, so I don't believe that Paul switches gears in mid-stride. I think he's talking about the same law that he's been talking about when you get up to Galatians 3.17 and Galatians 3.19. And Paul is pointing out the difference between the covenant made by a promise to Abraham and the covenant made by law conditions through prophet Moses. So the later conditional Mosaic covenant based on the law cannot annul the previous unconditional Abrahamic covenant that's based on the promise of Yahweh. I think sometimes us Torah keepers forget that life on earth existed prior to the giving of the law on Mount Sinai. Things took place in the book of Genesis prior to the giving of the law or the codification of the law on Mount Sinai. I also explained to you last week that I believe that the phrase added because of transgressions carries the meaning of added for the purpose of making transgressions clear. Transgressions are most clear when there is a written down definitive law in place. And that's what the Mosaic Covenant did. It made transgressions unmistakable. And it also made the remedy for transgressions crystal clear. And that is blood atonement. By means of an innocent victim, which under the old covenant in that case was an unblemished, perfect animal sacrifice. That's the primary use of the law, to bring sin to light, to shine a big flashlight on our transgressions, and to bring the way that sin is dealt with properly 
to light as well. The law is a mirror to show us that we are dirty and in need of forgiveness. But this is not the only use of the law. The law's primary use is as a mirror to reveal our transgressions. But that doesn't mean that's the only use of the law. I believe that there's two other important uses of the law. I'd like to cover those two in this lesson briefly. A second use of the law is found in its civil or governmental use. We might illustrate this as a curb. A curb keeps you inside of a boundary. And what I mean is this. The law of Yahweh is used to curb evil in the hard hearts of men. Now the law by itself is not designed to change a person's hard heart, but on a civil level, on a governmental level, it can curb the evil that exists in the human heart. And what I'm speaking of specifically is the judgments of the law. The law has been given by Yahweh to be used in government on a civil level in order to curb crime from taking place. Why the law? It's also a curb. And although our state does not abide by all of the Ten Commandments on a civil plane, it does abide by some of them. Murder is a crime. Theft is a crime. Rape is a crime. People who commit such crimes, if caught, are not allowed to carry on life amidst society. They are imprisoned. And that's because some sins are not only sins, but they're also crimes. The law of Yahweh exists on a judgment, governmental, civil scale to curb evil in the hearts of unregenerate people. Now, I don't believe that prison is the solution. The law of Yahweh does not teach rehabilitation. The law of Yahweh teaches restitution, not degrees of imprisonment. That's for another lesson at another time. But I'm just trying to explain another lawful use of the law of Yahweh. It wasn't given by Yahweh only to show us our sin and how sin may be forgiven. It was also given by Yahweh to curb evil. The law's judgments curb how much evil takes place in a community or a society even when everyone in that community does not love Yahweh or love His law. The law exists to keep some level of peace and harmony in a community. If you think about it, you should be very grateful that even on a minute scale, this use of the law is in existence in the state of Georgia. You should be very thankful. I don't think that it exists to the level that it needs to, (laughs) but you should be thankful for what does exist. So the law is not just a mirror, it's also a curb. But there's a third use of the law. And that has to do with the law as a guide or as a map. See, once a person has been given a new heart by Yahweh, once a person has been born of Yahweh, once a person has been transformed by Yahweh into a Yahweh lover rather than a Yahweh hater, the law then functions not only as a mirror to show the person their sin, but also as a guide or a map to show that person, he or she, how they ought to live. How they should conduct themselves in their life. In this case, the third use of the law is a guide. We read the law and we see, Thou shalt not steal. 
And we may have been a thief prior to our transformation. And thus the law only showed us our sin when our hearts were hard. But now that we have a new heart, we read that law, thou shalt not steal. And it does not just condemn us, but we see that we're to be givers and lenders and helpers and not thieves. And the same thing applies with all ten of the commandments. All ten of the commandments not only show you your sin, but after you're regenerated by the power of Yahweh and His Holy Spirit, the law now shows you how you ought to live. That you ought to revere the name of Yahweh. That you ought to keep the Sabbath holy. That you ought not to commit adultery. That you ought to honor your father and your mother. That you ought not to bear false witness. The law now guides you and you want to obey it because your heart is changed from the natural man to the spiritual man. And whereas the natural man cannot receive the things of the Spirit of Yahweh, the spiritual man welcomes in the things of the Spirit of Yahweh. Tell me what I have to do, Yahweh, because I want to obey your law. I've said this so many times, but it bears repeating when people ask me. They say, do you think that you have to obey the law? I said, you're coming at it from the wrong angle because it's not a have to with me. It's a privilege. It's a get to. Yahweh loves me. He's given me these rules for my benefit and for my good. So this is the third use of the law. The third use of the law is a use that many people in the church world today have forgotten. They have forgotten. But it's the third use of the law. It teaches us how we ought to live. An unregenerate man doesn't read the law like that. It's only a mirror to the natural man because he's still operating with a natural heart that he was born with and that you were born with. The new man or woman does read the law as a guide because they're operating with a new heart that you weren't born with but that Yahweh gifted you with. Amen. So why the law? You see, the law has three foundational uses. These may not be the only uses, but these are foundational. You can build upon these. Paul asks in verse 19, why the law? Here's why. It's a mirror, it's a curb, and it's a guide. Think about those three uses when you think about why the law. Just because it's not for justification, just because it's not there to wash us clean, does not mean that the law has no purpose. Just because you can't use a mirror to wash your face doesn't mean the mirror has no purpose. Just because you can't eat iron doesn't mean the iron has no purpose, the great preacher Charles Spurgeon said. Just because you can't fill yourself full with gold with a fork doesn't mean that gold has no value. So just because someone says, well, the law doesn't justify us, Brother Matthew, or the law doesn't justify us, brother or sister, tell them I agree, but that doesn't mean it has no value. Why the law? The Judaizers or the influencers were getting the cart before the horse. They were demanding that in order for the Gentiles, the heathen non-covenant peoples, to enter the covenant, they needed to submit first to certain works of the law which to the first century Judahite meant that the heathen was changing their identity. This is why the entire chapter, if we lose sight of the reason that Paul is writing, we lose sight of the meaning of his writing. The entire chapter leads up to verse 28, where Paul says, There is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in the Messiah Yeshua. Paul's talking about identity there. Ethnic identity, social status, gender status. He's saying, look, when it comes to salvation in the Messiah, we're all on an equal plane. That's the reason that Paul's writing this. So the Judaizers need to forget about 
the Gentiles having to jump through certain works of the law in order for them to have a relationship with Yahweh, in order for them to enter into the covenant. Paul is teaching entrance into the covenant is based on faith in the promise of Yahweh, just like Father Abraham, the father of faith, entered the covenant based on faith in the promise of Yahweh. Trust in the promise of Yahweh. This was before the Mosaic Covenant. This was before Mount Sinai. Father Abraham was a man of faith. Abraham got in by faith and so can the nations get in by faith. A person's identity is changed from flesh to spirit not when they convert to Judaism, but a person's identity is changed from flesh to spirit when they place faith in the promise of Yahweh then you're no longer a child born after the flesh, but a child born after the Spirit. And anybody, no matter their ethnic status, social status, or whether they're male or female, anybody that is a person of faith is a brother or sister to Matthew Jansen. And I can greet them as brother in Christ or sister in Christ because I'm not basing their status salvationally on what they look like or what their job is, or whether they're a male, or whether they're a female. I'm basing it on their faith in Christ. That's what Galatians is about. It's not doing away with Yahweh's law. It's not saying it's okay to break the Sabbath vow. Praise the Lord. That's not what Galatians is about. Galatians isn't about it's okay to break the dietary laws now. Praise the Lord. We're not under all that bondage. Oh, it was so hard. No, all of those things are for our good. The Sabbath day is my favorite commandment in the law. It's because I don't have to do nothing on the Sabbath. I rest on the Sabbath. I sleep on the Sabbath. I nap on the Sabbath. I have Sabbath hair when I get up from my nap. And a Sabbath beard when I get up from my nap. Praise Yahweh. I have sense enough to take care of it before I come to service. So y'all don't have to look at me like that. The Sabbath is my favorite commandment. I only eat what's on Yahweh's menu because I know His menu is the best menu. It's not on his menu. I don't eat it. Not because it's, a, it's something that is hindering me, but because it's something that is helping me. I'm losing my breath. Let me slow down. Take a drink of water. A person's identity is changed from flesh to spirit, from the natural man to the spiritual man, when they place faith in the promise of Yahweh. You say, Brother Matthew, but faith leads to faithfulness. Amen. Yes, that is true. But the entrance and the forgiveness of sins is not based on the works of the law. Or a mindset of earning or meriting something. Forgiveness of sins is based upon trust in the promise of Yahweh. The promise of Yahweh is Yeshua, His Son. That's Yahweh's promise. And He's promised us that if we believe in His salvation, we will be forgiven unconditionally unilaterally, based on the promise of Yahweh. You say, Brother Matthew, but don't you believe that those who have faith also have works? Of course I do. What would make anybody think I didn't believe that Bible verse too? As I've said before, I can witness about the law to somebody and they act like I don't believe about grace and they want to point me to another verse that talks about grace and I say, we'll get to that verse. I believe that verse. I love that verse. But right now I'm talking about this verse that talks about works. 
But when I talk about grace and mercy and forgiveness and unconditional promises that Yahweh made, people say, but what about this verse over here about the law? I say, don't you know I believe all of the verses? There's not a verse in here that you will find that Brother Matthew doesn't believe. But that doesn't mean I have to focus on all of them at one time. And when it comes to entrance into the covenant, and when it comes to your salvation, it's not based upon anything that you have done, merited or earned. It's based upon the grace and the mercy and the promises of our Creator. So I believe all the verses, but the key is, and never forget this, works are a result of faith. Not a cause of faith. You don't work to get faith. Works are the result that come after faith. Works are what happens as a result of the new heart and the gift of faith given to a person. A saved person, a person who's entered the covenant by grace through faith in Yahweh's promise. They now have a new heart with new desires. They will grow into a beautiful tree with time if you let them. Beautiful tree. Don't look for quick growth. The Bible says you don't even eat off of a tree until it's five years old. Don't look for quick growth. That's the stony soil. Amen? Plants can grow up quick and they can look beautiful with stony soil, but because they have no root, because their faith is not from Yahweh, that plant eventually withers away. That's a sad state of affairs, but it's true. In the parable of the soils, only one out of the four soils was good soil. Don't look for quick growth. Look for slow but steady growth. I said look for slow but steady growth. That's the growth you see in Yahweh's children. Not a sprint, but a marathon. Slow and steady growth. And eventually what will happen is you'll see somebody 20 years later and they've been faithful serving Yahweh for those 20 years and their life will not look 20 years later like it looked 20 years before because they're a child of Yahweh. That doesn't mean they'll have everything ironed out. That doesn't mean Brother Matthew has everything ironed out. I've been serving Yahweh now for a long time, but He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. Slow and steady growth. Hallelujah. So that takes care of the question of why the law, but now we come to the sentence in verse 19. It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise was made would come. And we know that the seed that the promise was made to is the Messiah. He is the seed, the singular seed that Yahweh made the promise to back in Genesis. Now, he wasn't back there at the giving of the law according to this verse. He was the seed that would come. Okay. But some would say, now that he has come, we don't need the law anymore. Yes, the law was until the seed to whom the promise was made would come, but now he's come, Brother Matthew, so we don't need the law anymore. Don't you see the word until? The law was only added until the seed would come. I want you to think about that for a second. Use the glorious computer that Yahweh gave you up here. If the word until in this context means up to the Messiah but not after the Messiah, then is it now okay to commit murder Adultery, steal, bear false witness, have other gods, and dishonor our father and our mother. Now someone may say, don't be ridiculous, Brother Matthew, but I'm not the one being ridiculous. That argument is ridiculous. 
It is crazy to believe that until here means that there is a stopping point of the law code after Messiah. Because if the law stops and is only until Messiah in the sense of up to that point but not after that point, then those things I just mentioned can no longer be sins. But that doesn't make any sense, does it? Everybody knows that. The word until in the Bible can carry different meanings and uses depending upon the context. And the way you do word studies is you define words by the context in which they are used. It can mean up to a point and not including a point or after that point. Like if I say this, leave this oven on until the timer goes off. Well, in that case, because of the context, you know until means up to a point but not after that point. But if I say something like this, this is a prophecy in the book of Genesis, by the way. The scepter shall not depart from Judah until Shiloh come. The word until carries the meaning of up to a point, including that point, and after that point. The use of the word until emphasizes the continuance of the scepter in the book of Genesis remaining in Judah. Not that it's going to leave Judah once Shiloh or peace or Messiah shows up. But that it goes all the way up to him and then finds a culmination or a goal in in Shiloh or in the the Messiah. So because we know it is ridiculous for the entirety of the law of Yahweh to be null and void, and because we now understand the three uses of the law, why the law? We get three foundational uses. Those uses still exist. The word until in Galatians 3.19 cannot carry the meaning of an abolishment of the law after the time of the Messiah, after the seed comes. It rather carries the meaning of all the way up to the Messiah and then the goal is realized or made fully apparent with the coming of the seed or with the coming of the Messiah. So the law was added because of transgressions all the way up till the seed to whom the promise was made would come and the seed is the culmination of the law. The law was like a big arrow that pointed to the Messiah. Yeshua is what it looks like to love Yahweh with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's what it looks like. He is what it looks like to love your neighbor as you love yourself. He is what it looks like to self-sacrifice. And He is what it looks like to have your sins forgiven. All of the law pointed to Him. Not just the ceremonial, not just the civil, but even the moral law of Yahweh pointed to the Messiah. Every bit of it. But that does not mean that the law is no longer a mirror for sinful humanity. The law still reveals our sins to us. The law still curbs evil on a civil level. And the law is still a guide to show the regenerate man how he or the regenerate woman how she ought to live. So you say, Brother Matthew, what about things, and these questions came up after last week's sermon, and they were already planned for this week's sermon, but it's okay because I like questions. I love questions. It's fine. You say, Brother Matthew, what about things like the Levite priesthood, the sacrificial system, the temple, the city of Jerusalem, etc.? You know, let me start off by saying this. All of those things were well and good. Never, ever speak evil of anything that Yahweh does. Never. The Levite priesthood was perfect to do what Yahweh wanted it to do. 
The sacrificial system was perfect to do what Yahweh designed for it to do. Never speak evil of anything Yahweh does. All of those things served a purpose. Nothing is bad that Yahweh commands or does. But those aspects of the law, we might term them as ceremonial. Those things do not direct the way that we live our lives. Here's an illustration. Like Paul says, I'm speaking by a human illustration. When a skyscraper is being built, there are necessary tools that go into its construction. And all of those tools are perfect to do what they've been designed to do. There's a scaffold that's placed on the outer perimeter of the skyscraper in order to lay the block, in order to set the glass, in order to drill in the screws that need to be drilled in. But once the building is finished, that scaffolding comes down and certain tools are no longer necessary because something greater than the scaffold and those tools has come. So it is true that certain aspects within the entire scope of the law have come and have gone. And it is true that there is a discontinuity between the old and the new covenants. They're not entirely the same. Some things were in place for a time. They were all good. But Yeshua the Messiah, the promised seed, is better. We might say this. Not necessarily that there's a discontinuity in between the covenants, but rather that there is a development from one covenant to the next. The seeds... Catch this now. The seeds of all things new are planted in the old. Everything having to do with the Messiah, His priesthood, His sacrifice, His life, they're glorious blossoms of seeds that were sown during the old covenant. So for the last 2,000 years, we've had no Levite priesthood. And it's not because man took it away. It's because Yahweh took it away at the destruction of Jerusalem in in AD 70. For the last 2,000 years, we've had no sacrificial system that's intertwined within that priesthood. You say there were sacrifices prior to that priesthood. I've got no problem with that in the book of Genesis. But the sacrificial system as was given through the tribe of Levi has not been in existence. And Christians for the last 2,000 years have worshipped Yahweh in spirit and in truth in many places other than Jerusalem or Mount Gerizim. Yeshua prophesied about that in John chapter 4. He said the true worshipers are those who worship the Father in spirit and in truth, not in this mountain of Gerizim nor in Jerusalem, but in spirit and in truth. But you know what? Adam, Seth, Shem, Methuselah, Noah... Enoch and Abraham didn't have any of that either. They didn't go to Jerusalem. They didn't have the temple. They didn't have the Levite priesthood. And they still worshiped Yahweh. They still had a relationship with Yahweh without all of those things. There's a reason for that. It's not happenstance. There were some things Yahweh gave at the time of the Mosaic Covenant that were fully in place but only for a time. And I think, I think that this is what the Hebrews author means in Hebrews 8 verse 13 
where he wrote to a first century audience that was close to the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple. And the author of Hebrews said this. He said, by saying a new covenant, he has declared that the first is old and what is old and aging is about to disappear. Now remember, that wasn't written to you. It's written for you, but it wasn't written to you. It was written to an audience that first received it. It was on the brink. Certain things that were intertwined with that Mosaic Covenant, that conditional Mosaic Covenant, it was on the brink of disappearance in the first century, and it disappeared with a coming of the Son of Man in judgment upon old Jerusalem in 70 A.D. And since that time, certain aspects of the law have moved out of the way because what they were designed to do came to an end with the work of Yeshua the Messiah. But the law as a way of life, the law as a guide for regenerate people, showing us how we ought to live, did that disappear? No. No way. When you read the law and you see laws that you have the ability to obey, you read that law and you see, I've got the ability to obey this law. Yahweh is not looking for a person who reasons their way out of that law. He's looking for a people who will repent and obey as they learn and as they grow. Amen? Why in the world would you want to dismiss a law that's in your grasp to be obedient to? That's definitely not the spirit man talking. It's got to be the flesh man rising up. doesn't make sense. If you can't obey it, obey it. See, an unregenerate person, a person that is still a slave to sin... They look for a way to get out of doing things. But a regenerate person, even if they are not obeying a certain law as of yet, says this, Yes, I know that's a good law. I'm just not there yet. Help me to obey, Father. Enlarge the borders of my heart. Let me love your law more. It's funny that I've had people that don't believe, Christians that don't believe in being obedient to the law of Yahweh. They do. They don't realize it. Up to a point. Every Christian believes in obeying the law of Yahweh up to a point. Okay. But certain laws, you know, like the dietary laws of the Sabbath, so forth and so on, the tassels, the beard, what have you. And what they do when they find out that I believe in obeying the law, they try to flip through the Bible and find a law that I'm not obeying so that they can condemn me. And my answer is if they do find a law that I'm supposed to obey but I'm not obeying, my answer is I need to work on that. It's not to fight that law, but it's I'm not there yet. I need to work on that. They don't get me when they find a law I'm not obeying because I believe that I should if it's applicable to me. See? So ask Yahweh to enlarge the borders of your heart. Brother Orlando would pray, Yahweh, enlarge the borders of my heart so that all of your commandments can fit inside of it. Love that prayer. Love that prayer. Ask Yahweh to, to let you learn to love His law. Sometimes, I was sharing this with somebody this past week, sometimes we come across things in the Bible that we already agree with, maybe because Mama and Daddy taught them to us or our grandparents or maybe it's because how we were raised in church and we find a, a place in the Bible and we say, oh yeah, that's good because we already agree with it. But when we find out if we really love Yahweh is when we come to a place in the Bible that we don't agree with. It's clear, 
but we don't agree with it. But yet we say, it doesn't matter what I think. It matters what Yahweh says. It matters what Yahweh says. I once called into a radio broadcast and a fellow asked me if I believed that it mattered to God if I kept the dietary laws. And I said, oh, absolutely. I don't have to hesitate on that. It definitely matters. It's part of his instructions. So it matters if we keep the dietary laws to, to the Almighty. He gave them for a reason, right? Even back in the book of Genesis with Noah, he took both clean and unclean animals on the ark. The clean and the unclean designations didn't come about later on at Mount Sinai. They were existed all from, from creation. And so he said, so you believe in keeping the law? I said, yes. And he said, well, let me just open up randomly. And you heard his Bible flip. And he said it was random. But that wasn't true. It wasn't random. Because he said, he that is wounded in the stones or in the privy members shall not enter the congregation. Do you believe that law? What he tried to do was he tried to pick up pick out one that the audience would find maybe repulsive. Maybe they wouldn't agree with. Maybe they would say, ooh, that's, that's gross or that doesn't sit well with my spirit. And he tried to do that to show me up. And, of course, I told him, I believe in that law. Now, we could debate and discuss what the meaning of that law is. What does it mean by congregation of Yahweh? And you'll find in the Old Testament that there are different meanings for congregation of the Lord. And one of them has to do with the community of the elders. And I think that that's probably what that law is referring to because there were certain natural qualities that a leader, a Levite, or an elder, or a judge must have in order to fit that, in order to fit that, that bill or fit that office. Now, a Levite couldn't even have a crooked nose <laughs> before he could serve in the community. That's Yahweh's business. We can't say, well, that don't make sense because... Yahweh shouldn't have said that. No, that's not our business. That's Yahweh's business. What he says goes. What he says goes. It was asked after last week's sermon, what about the ceremonial law? And I understand that question because it's obvious that we do not, nor can we, obey everything written in the first five books of Moses because a lot of it wasn't written specifically for us. It was written to Levites or written to a leper or written for us males to a woman or for you females to a man. And so laws that does, do not apply to you, you can't obey even if you wanted to obey. I don't have a problem with saying the ceremonial law. I don't have a problem with understanding that certain things were the scaffold that was being used while the building was being built. The problem I have is that when people don't want to obey certain laws, what they start doing is lumping them into the ceremonial category. Somebody finds out you obey the dietary laws and they say, well, that's ceremonial. I don't do that because that's a ceremonial law. What's ceremonial about that? That's a way of life. There's nothing more intrinsic to life than eating. And there's nothing more that shows that you serve the Creator than submitting to Him with what you put in your mouth. There's nothing ceremonial about that. It's a way of life. Somebody says, well, Brother Matthew, I would wear the tassels, but they're ceremonial. Do you think that the tassels were given for you to remember to keep the ceremonial law? No. The tassels were given for you to remember to keep the moral law, the Ten Commandments. That's why you put a ribbon of blue in them because the commandments were written on blue sapphire stone. They're to remind you to keep the way of life. A man just got put to death for violating what law? The Sabbath day in Numbers 15. Then the law of the tassels were given. So the tassels aren't ceremonial. 
And so I have a problem when people try to put laws that they don't want to obey under ceremonial. The law of the beard, the law of the tassels, the law of the dietary laws, the law of not mixing linen and woolen. None of that's ceremonial. That has to do with how we live our life, what we do on a day-to-day basis. Those are laws you have the ability to keep. So those are laws you should be interested in obeying. If you love Yahweh, you will be. You will be. Let me conclude by saying this. The law was added to make transgressions clear, to curb evil, and to show us how we ought to live. And it all pointed to Yeshua the Messiah. It was until, or with a view to, or looking forward to the promised seed, the seed to whom the promise was made. After the time of the Messiah, specifically up to A.D. 70, after that destruction, There were some things inside the law that were replaced with something better. It wasn't that those things inside the law were were bad. They were good things. But they were only to be used to build the building. And once the building was built, which is our Messiah, he's better. He's better than those things. But the law as a way of life remains. Any commandments that we obey as a way of life, they continue on. But never forget, and this may be the most important part of this lesson, so it's good that I close with this. The law was not given as a tool to justify you from your sins. That's right. That's not not a use of the law. It is not a tool to declare you innocent in Yahweh's court. That's That's not its purpose. That mirror does not remove the dirt from your face. That mirror cannot make you clean. Only Yahweh, by His means, can make a person clean. The way he accomplishes this is by the seed to whom the promise was made. And that has now came. That is how both the Judahites and the nations received first class covenant status. Not by the works of the law, but by faith in the promised seed. And no matter what beginner's level you're on today, you might be on the beginner's level of obeying the law of Yahweh. No matter how little you've advanced in understanding and obeying Yahweh's law, if you have placed faith in Yahweh's salvation, you're a member of the covenant. And no matter how much you may have advanced in Yahweh's law, no matter how obedient you may have become, your covenant status as a member is not based on the law, It's not based on an earning mindset or a merits mindset. It's based on the promise of Yahweh. The only reason you want to obey and do Yahweh's will is because He's worked on your soul. He's went in there with His heavenly mechanic tools. He's turned the bolts. He's loosened things up. He pulled out the heart of stone. He put in a heart of flesh. And He caused you to obey His law. He said, I will cause you to do this. You will be my people. He's done a refurbish and restoration job on your soul. Oh, hallelujah. He's kept his promise. He's made you alive. That's something the law couldn't do. But the promise can. We'll continue this next week. Yahweh's will. I'll finish verses 20 through 22. Let's stand and close in a word of prayer. Oh, hallelujah. Heavenly Father, thank You for Your instructions. Thank You for a good understanding on what they do and what they don't do. And thank You for the seed 
the singular one seed to whom the promise was made. I praise you and I thank you, Father, for it's all by your will and according to your plan. Through Messiah I pray. Amen.